Welcome to the Beauty Inspires Beauty Podcast. It's your girl, Jess Bergio. I created this show as a way to connect deeper with each of you, to remind you you are not alone, that you were made for the hard shit. As creatives, entrepreneurs, moms, CEOs, we are magic, and each of us has a unique gift and purpose to share. I hope you feel encouragement, support, connections, and real, raw, authentic moments as you tune in. Life is not meant to be perfect, so stop and remind yourself that you can find happiness in the day-to-day while building the life of your dreams. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode, and if you'd like to get weekly words of encouragement, text me the word FRIDAY to 619-332-3045. Here it is our very first sponsor of the Beauty Inspires Beauty Podcast. And I'm so excited because it feels so in alignment with exactly what I'm trying to provide here on this podcast. And that's real tools and real strategies to help you increase your revenue, automate and systematize your business like never before. Gloss Genius is literally the only business management and payments platform that makes it easy to grow revenue, enhance the client experience inside your salon or spa. From a beautiful online booking site to powerful marketing tools and low payment processing rates, Gloss Genius not only empowers you to run your full salon in a stylish and smart way, but also feels supported in every step of the way. For a limited time, they're offering listeners 50% off the first two months if you go to the link in the bio and enter the promo code. So that promo code is BEINSPIRED22. That's B-I-N-S-P-I-R-E-D-22. All this will be in the link in the show notes. If you guys haven't tried Gloss Genius yet, I highly recommend them. Tell them Jess sent you, punch in the promo code for 50% off two months for new users only. Welcome back to the Beauty Inspires Beauty Podcast. It's your girl Jess here with an amazing guest. We were put into each other's world by my mentor, A. Barron. Um, and I'm always so thankful when people I should have in my orbit are introduced to me and then we can connect. And there's such a deeper level of connection than you ever even realized. Um, even though we're both hairdressers and we'll always will be, we have taken our lives and passions in so many different directions. And we're so excited to share with you some of those. And we chatted before we hit record around how we could show up and serve you today on this podcast and what kind of has been coming up between our coaching clients and just the collective of, um, our industry and we, we came up with some good stuff. So Andrew Karathis, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate it. Um, thank you, Abe, for the introduction that, like you said, it's always awesome when it, those introductions come from someone that you have a deep level of trust with, because it's like kind of that instant trust levels there. Yes. And Abe's been a huge supporter of helping me He's like, whoever you need to be in touch with, I got to introduce you to this person. And um, it's funny, I just, before I started this morning, lit some sage with his little feather that he gave me the last time he cut my hair. Um, way too short, by the way, but you know, that's standard. He gave me my haircut I had when I was 27 working for him back in the day. I was like, oh, do I, do I look like I used to? Now that I'm 41, I have the same haircut he used to give me. <laughs> <laughs> it was That's great. Awesome. You know, he's working out of his van here in San Diego. He just posts up wherever. And I was like, Abe, this is the life. This is the life. And it makes me question sometimes. I'm like, why am I doing all these things? And I have this van life. But that takes us to where you and I are, because we both clearly have um, big vision and dreams for serving other people and really giving back to this industry, but also um, discovering ways that we can support ourselves. And we were talking about just that that vulnerability piece that everyone pitches of showing up and speaking authentically 
whether it's in person, uh, on the stage with your clients or on social media. And I think we both kind of tapped into the space of, you know, what does that really mean? We hear it. Show up authentically, speak your truth, uh, be yourself. I say it all the time. Um, and I think sometimes we, we think people know what we're talking about, but we're going to dive into that a little bit with you guys today. So Andrew, can you just walk us through your career? Because this podcast really was my way of showcasing, like pulling back the curtain. We see where people are now, but like, we don't know their story and we don't know how they ended up where they are. And so it's, it's my kind of, I given myself this job role of like showing people you're not that far from usually where your dreams are. And if there's something you see in one of our guests or somebody who's around, like, the story is probably relatable and you're going to find yourself somewhere in there. So I always try to uncover those little nuggets so people can just see that anything they want is possible. And um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your story. Yeah, thanks. I'll try to keep keep this like the quick version because it's, it's sort of it's so layered. <laughs> well, you're with um, your you're with your hairdresser family. So we're, we're good with long form. That's why the podcast was the platform versus, you know, an IGTV or anything else. So yeah. speak. <laughs> All right. Well, I like many, um, I feel like many other men that got into the hair industry in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was a failed rock star. <laughs> like, I swear, all the other guys that I started doing hair with back in that, that time, we all kind of had a similar story. Like, we wanted to be in bands and stuff. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because like one of the cool things about being in bands is you can have tattoos and dress cool and like, you know, have that lifestyle. And so I saw that in the hair industry too. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But my sister, she's a hairdresser. And, and I once I realized that being a rock star working in a recording studio wasn't going to actually pay my bills in the way that I wanted them to. And I did not have I did not have the uh, the the persona to be able to carry off living the rock star life that was yeah. not for me so i saw that she seemed to have a pretty cool job because it was artistic she was having fun with people and people were handing her significant amounts of money you know after she was finished and she was a booth renter at that point so she had total control over her schedule like she would take time off she would go on vacations and stuff and i was like man this seems like kind of a cool job. I might check this out. So fortunately, I met this young guy named Tyson Daniel in Salt Lake City. That He was kind of like the cool, hotshot young you know, hairdresser. He had just opened a salon, and it was him, this other guy, David Perks. And he, you didn't actually have to go to school to get your license in Utah. You, you could apprentice. And so I went to him, and I was like, hey, would you be interested in doing an apprenticeship? And it was perfect timing because his mom had apprenticed him. So that's what he wanted to kind of pass on as he wanted to apprentice someone. So totally perfect timing. Basically, as soon as I started my apprenticeship, I was hooked. Like, you know, because um, those two being kind of like the cool young men in town doing hair. Of course, all the beautiful models came to our salon and stuff. And, you know, the first day I'm like shampooing this beautiful girl's hair and I'm like, yeah, I like this career quite a bit. <laughs> this was the right choice. <laughs> totally. And, you know, then, of course, like we went to the TG World release, which is like their huge, like three, four day rock concert for hairdressers in Dallas, Texas. 
that happened. And my first world release that I went to was six months into my apprenticeship. And that's when I saw all these incredible um, hairdressers up on stage with, you know, just seas of models and incredible music and stuff. I was like, yes, this is so rad. Tyson, he was, I think his title was like the regional artistic director for TG and like the product line. And so part of his job was to get people in the area out teaching product knowledge classes at like just salons that carried TG product. And so about a couple of months after that, I think maybe like nine months into my apprenticeship, um, he taught me how to go into salons and teach these product knowledge classes. So then I got my first taste of teaching, which that was like the real hook. Like I loved doing hair. I loved doing the photo shoots and stuff with him, but teaching after my first class, I've, I've never been so nervous in my entire life, by the way. Like I, I seriously thought I was going to die yeah. just standing up in front of a group of hairdressers going, this is this shampoo and it has vitamins A, C, and E that, you know, give you great shine. And like, I'm sure that I was just trembling in front of these hairdressers, but after I left, I just felt like, yes, like that's what I want to focus on is teaching. And so pretty much before I even had a hair license, I was pretty committed to that, that teaching and educating was going to be a big part of what I did. And so that took me, I left that salon, started working with um, Sean and Angie at Lunatic Fringe Salons. They introduced me to the Paul Mitchell world. That's how I know Abe. Um, I worked with Paul Mitchell Hair Schools for quite a long time and spent a short time as the uh, artistic director for the advanced education department of the schools that would go out and train the schools. And then burnout hit hard. So about seven years into my career, I'm still trying to do like 40, 50 hour work weeks. I'm still trying to go out and travel on the weekends to these different schools and help train the educators at the schools. I'm still trying to act as like the education director for our salons and plan our educational programs. I'm still trying to train assistants. So just talking about it right now, like I can honestly feel that stress and overwhelm that I was hitting at that point. So about seven years into the industry, I, I almost just bounced, like just was done. It was crazy. That's the point that I was introduced to coaching because I hired a coach. Oh. Um, uh, Sean and Angie were working with coaches. Some of my other mentors, Dennis James, um, the, all, all the guys that I really looked up to within the industry seem to be working with coaches. And I had never really heard of this before. I was like, wait, is it like a therapist? Like, what is this? It's like, no, it's like someone that supports you in figuring stuff out for yourself. And my coach, Lynn, and she also had an incredible business background. So she was really fantastic with helping me with my personal journey, but also with like my business mindset, and, like career mindset. And so she took me through this project called the Hedgehog Project. <laughs> and then the reason she calls it the Hedgehog Project is because hedgehogs have this really unique defense mechanism where they roll up in a ball and that's how they protect themselves like they you know just create this little spiny ball <laughs> and they're one of the 
well, I think they might be the only creature that that's really their defense mechanism. So the idea of the Hedgehog Project was to help you to find, like, what is that thing for you? What is that thing that is, like, just purely just? Like, that thing that you are the only person on this planet that could possibly do it exactly how you do it. And so we went through that project and it pointed towards coaching. It really pointed towards like that next evolution as yes, I love to educate and teach, but coaching kind of took on a different direction at that point where it wasn't just about sharing content, but it was actually about supporting people and finding their own way. And so I started to take, um, I started to coach with her and soon after that, I actually um, started to be trained under her to become a coach for myself. And so at some point, I left Palm Beach the school, went back to just pretty much focusing hair on hair inside the salon, but also trying to build a coaching clientele. So that takes us up to 2010-ish. Wow. So you did, you got in early or, with the coaching. Yes. Yeah. It was like right before 2010 is when I got into the coaching stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. And so from there, we're, we're, we're certified under her. That's so awesome. I love when you have a transformation with somebody and then they're willing to also then teach you how to teach um, because that's huge. I think there's a lot of people who have programs and they have their process and it's like, unless you hire them to do that with you and you go through their program or process, like, they don't often, I, I, I would love to know more about this hedgehog project because I feel like that's that thing that, you know, she saw that greatness in you by being able to pull out those questions and talk to you about things. And though you'd experienced it a little bit, coaching kind of just probably was natural and something you'd been doing through the education and teaching at the schools. Like you'd already been practicing. You'd already put several years in before you even realized what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one thing I do have to say about like Paul Mitchell school is we always used to joke about like we would go to these trainings and it was almost like a self-help seminar, you know, like they were basically teaching us kind of coaching techniques and coaching processes at our trainings before I kind of even really understood what coaching was. And so that was kind of where it first started. Then I started to work with Lynn. And so she, she had accreditation to actually offer us ICF accreditation. Um, so that was awesome. I started to build up my ICF credits when I started to work with her. But it, that, it still always became, it was still always kind of like a side project, right? Like it was like, I'm still a hairdresser. That was still kind of my primary kind of working identity. And then as I started to do more coaching, I was like, man, I really love this. Then the opportunity to become a partner and one of the lunatic fringe salons came up. And I was like, well, this seems like a like a logical progression, right? Like smart next step. Yeah. Like good next step. Hopefully I can start to make it into something that the ownership pays me instead of having to stand behind the chair for too much longer. Because even after 15 years of doing hair, I was like in pain. My body was really starting to break down already probably because of how hard I pushed it for all those years. Come to find out that ownership <laughs> is a lot more than just being a good teacher and a good coach to people. Ownership involves a hell of a lot more than that. And it was a lot of things that I wasn't good at. It was a lot of things that I had no business doing. 
So my ownership actually was a pretty short stint. And during that time, that's when I got to got introduced to Sambia. That was my opportunity to kind of step back into that world of teaching and educating and being on a platform and being out with audiences. And it was like, oh, yes, this is this is what I love to do. Like, again, it was just that reconfirmation that teaching and educating was that's where I was supposed to be. Right. So worked on that with him started to build that part of my career simultaneously started to figure out how to step back out of my ownership so that I didn't have to have that responsibility. Luckily, the the girl that was our manager at the location, she was like, well, I'll purchase your portion. So it was perfect. Like it was such an easy transition. Like it was almost like nothing had really happened, except I just had a lot of responsibilities taken off my shoulders. I got to stay there and continue to work with my clientele. So at some point, it did start to get that my position with Sam Villa as his education director, that started to need more full-time attention. And I kept trying to reduce my clientele. And if any of you listening have ever tried to reduce your clientele, just as raising her hand right now, it's not easy. Like I did. Okay. Listen up y'all. Stop being afraid to raise your prices because I did like a ridiculous bonkers price raise. And yeah, I lost a few people, but I lost like five. I needed to lose half my clientele to start to have a realistic schedule that didn't even close to happen. And I kept trying to reduce my hours, but you know, you have someone at the front desk staring, looking at you with like tears in their eyes. Like, wait, Andrew, you, you don't have time for me on your schedule. And you're like, okay, I'll come in early. I'll stay late. I'll do whatever I have to. Oh, I know it. Oh my gosh. It was really hard. Take a moment of silence for all those feelings that we've all had. <laughs> and everyone listening, if you're in this industry or if you're in a service-based industry, you get it. You just get it. It is what it is. And it's like, because we come from such a service place heart, like we want to say yes to everybody. I think a lot of people want to, and this may be true, there's childhood trauma around people pleasing and saying yes and all the things, but sometimes you just want to like do the right thing and make sure Susie can get in before her vacation or her wedding or whatever. I'm like, it doesn't always have to be deep rooted trauma why I want to say yes to help somebody. But (laughs) with some of that being said, it is tough because that goes into the saying yes to them versus saying yes to you. And um, I I know there's a lot of people who have experienced raising their prices after being scared to do it for so long. And then literally nobody left, one or two people left. And they're like, this actually didn't solve my problem, which was more time. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so that actually was the thing that kind of prompted, I don't want to say it prompted it, but it accelerated the pace of our move from Salt Lake City to where we live now, which is a small town in Southern Oregon called Talon. Cool. Yeah, it's, and I'll try to keep this part really quick, but basically some good friends of ours, their family lives here in in this area. And I, I had visited this area one time before on a motorcycle trip, just kind of through the Northwest and fell in love with it. I was like, it's kind of this really beautifully kept secret down here. Like it's still a small town but there's still a lot to do here. It's Southern Oregon's wine country. It is awesome. It's such a beautiful place. And then the following year we came out, um, our friends got married on her, on her family's property here. 
And during their wedding, my wife and I, that couple, and one other couple, all decided that we wanted to move here someday. So we went back to Salt Lake. This was 2015. We go back to Salt Lake. This is 2015. Or wait. Yeah, 2015. And then we say, okay, it's our five-year plan. Well, the five-year plan turned into Michelle and I moving here in the spring of 2016. <laughs> I love it. That's how I operate too. I'm like, eh, let's go. And so the reason I that I say that is part of the, like, yeah, let's just go ahead and do this is I kind of realized that if I wanted to leave working at the salon, I was probably just going to have to leave Salt Lake City. I'm also raising my hand again. I know that's, that's such a profound, like, you're like, wow, I literally have to leave in order to be able to tell, like, tell no, my clients no. And whether that was a personal thing, like you could have just said the doors are closed. Like I'm going to go work at Starbucks now and stayed living in the same town. But there's something about being connected to your space where you did your business. Um, I even sold my salon and stayed working in there one day a week. And that was really challenging. Uh, at first, I was like, this is great. I let go of all the responsibility. I made money. Um, but I, And then I tried to move down the hall. And then I tried to move all the way out of it. And I'm like, you know, it's going to have to be a Band-Aid here. And so we're, we're, we're peeling it hair by hair. It's, it's actually more painful, I think, than if I was to just put an end date to it. But um, totally. if it's your identity and it's what you've known for so many years, I think there's that part. It's, yeah, I want to get Susie in so she's happy. But it's also the scared, what will happen if I fully let this go, especially since you spent 15, 20 years building a career where – at this point, I know it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with good people, like where you're printing money, you've built the clientele. It's not like a coaching business where you have to continuously market yourself. You've, you've built on word of mouth generally in the back years, like we grew up. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't, you didn't have to promote yourself on social media. You did good work. You told the clients you like to send their friends in and there you go. Um, yeah. It was much different than it is now with social media and even with the ability to podcast and like kind of share our stories. Like we, we only knew what was going on in our own bubble. Um, so you're in a much different place now. So you guys moved on a whim, 2016, you went there one time and you mm -hmm. packed up and that was the end of your doing hair behind the chair career? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So from 2016 to 2020, my my 100% focus was just working with Sambia as his education director. Um, as we went through the pandemic, all of that, I think, like quite a few people out there, and I'm sure a lot of you will relate to this, it was that wake-up call. It was the moment of like, hey, look, you don't know what's coming down the, the pipe. So this dream that you've had for the last couple of years of just focusing on your coaching business, maybe it's time to do that. And so at the end of 2021, I said goodbye to Sambia as, as my, my home base, or sorry, at the end of 2020, as we went into 2021, um, I said goodbye on great terms. I actually still do um, some work with them. I still host some of their content on social media and stuff. And we, we have a fantastic relationship still, but yeah, that was a big jump. It was, it was my first time at since I had started with Tyson way back in, was that 2018 or sorry, 98 that I started with him. 
But anyway, and it doesn't matter. It was either 98 or 99. I can't remember for sure. But since that point, I had always kind of had the support of a company or a brand on my side. My my coach, Lynn, always called me like an intrapreneur. Like I had a very entrepreneurial spirit, but I always found a place within another company to explore that entrepreneurial spirit and have a place Mm -hmm. kind of my own within that space of that protection of it's still with for someone else. And so that was my first jump into kind of like complete independence. No, no real support system. And that I'm sure right there is so relatable because I jokingly say everyone in the beauty industry is an accidental entrepreneur, but Mm -hmm. I really feel like you nailed it a little bit better, like an intrapreneur. That is, I don't know if I've actually ever heard that word. It makes complete sense what it is. Um, And I think a lot of people find that when they step into roles like owning a salon, they think that level of entrepreneurship is going to feel differently, hit differently, give them the you know, clout that they were looking for, or be able to put the business card that says owner or founder on it. And it just, unless that's your passion, and that is what you were meant to do, the day to day grind, the micromanaging, the making sure everyone else is good. um, It's it's a 10 x when it's compared to just taking care of your clients behind the chair. And I'm sure you've seen over the years, a lot of people that left and went and opened their own salons that after a while went right back to either a solo space or back into a big salon where they didn't have as much responsibility and they could go back to the thing that they were passionate about, which was that one-to-one connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you find towards the end of your career that that was your favorite part? I mean, I I think for me, I still love the art of doing hair, right? It's so beautiful that it's like, you don't really have to think about it. It's one of those, like I imagine singers or artists or people who paint and draw, like it can just come out. You don't have to necessarily think about it. Someone tells you what they want, you can do it, no problem. But when it comes to coaching, it's so much more complex because you never know what's going to come out of somebody's mouth. <laughs> you never know what question you ask that might take the direction in another way. Like when you're doing here, generally you're like in control and with coaching, it's so different. Um, but you've basically been practicing your whole career by having, like I felt, one-to-one conversations with clients and getting to know them. And especially when you have clients for like over 5, 10, 15 years, like mm-hmm. you've been through so much stuff with them. They've been through so much stuff with you. Um it seems to me like a really natural progression for a lot of hairdressers who enjoy that part of the business to transition into some sort of coaching space, to be honest. Um, and, and I think, I think you, you know, if you're going to stand out in the industry, if you're going to speak on a topic, even if it's budgeting or, you know, social media, being able to know who you are and to have that conversation and get your message across, like comes from a, you knowing people, but also you knowing yourself. Um, and you talk a lot about that. So you, you did this huge transition. You went full into coaching. Now you're in, you're in an organ and you're like, this is inspiring me so much right now. I'm like, do I have to move to Oregon though? Like I really (laughs) like San Diego. (laughs) But maybe I think I need to do the fucking Alaska or something. Um, So that's awesome. So where does one start when they're building their coaching business? You worked a little bit still with Sam, you still do. And then like, how did you decide who your ideal client was for coaching? Was it in the beauty entrepreneur space? Or was it, did you feel like you kind of wanted to talk and help everybody? Or how did you kind of figure out what it was that you were meant to be coaching on? It's an awesome question. And it's, It's a tough one to answer, honestly. When it comes down to it, I didn't. I I had no idea. So as I got into coaching, 
it was really hard because I was like, I don't even know what to call myself. Like, mm. I don't want it to be Andrew Carruthers life coaching. Like that just, ugh, yuck. And oh then, especially <laughs> like, I feel like around that, that era of, um, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, like coaching really was starting to kind of explode at that point. Like everyone started talking about life coaches, but it almost became a joke. Like it be kind of, kind of became this persona that would be joked about on movies. Like, oh, here's your hippy dippy life coach. That's going to like, talk about, you know, on your rising Kundalini and like, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And it, so for me, and I've always had this place that I'm incredibly spiritual, but I'm also incredibly practical. Like I love science. Like I love neuroscience. I love to really understand what's happening in our brain, but I also understand that that can't be all we do. Right. So there's also this very spiritual, very holistic, very embodied part that is really important to me as well. And so that's what I found was kind of my sweet spot as I started to coach is like, well, that's kind of the coach that I am Mm -hmm. because there are people that are much more cerebral coaches. They're very head-based. They're very kind of linear, very practical. And if that's what you need and that's, that's what you want, great. There's coaches like that. And then there are, you know, like when I went to the first ICF conference, um, it very much felt like that, that part that one of these things is not like the other, because there was kind of two groups at the ICF conference. There was like the flowy dress. I'm going, we're going to sit and we're going to meditate and we're going to, you know, do these chants and, you know, all of those kinds of things that we picture as, you know, kind of life coaching. But then there was also like, the the business suit right that was very much like i'm here to coach entrepreneurs to become better entrepreneurs and have a healthier lifestyle and then here's andrew with tattoos and his hairdressing gear you know like and i just felt so like whoa this is kind of crazy what is you know i don't fit here but what i recognize is that was like a superpower Because by the end of the conference, I had made so many new connections because I think just looking different from the rest of the crowd, people were like, what's your story? And then we'd create relationships and it was really awesome. But that, that like kind of a little bit of rock and roll, a little bit country, (laughs) a little bit spiritual, a little bit practical, that became kind of how I would coach with people. As far as who I would coach, it was kind of like, hey, I'll coach anyone at this point, because that's what Lynn taught us. She really taught us from a perspective of I don't have to have any expertise in anything like you could be a badminton player and I could have never played badminton in my entire life. But I feel like I could be your coach because it's not about me. Like she taught us pure coaching, which is like, I'm not here to teach. I'm not here to really share. I'm here strictly to uh, support you in making your own discoveries and help hold you accountable to those things that you want in life. That was my coaching process. Just from, you know, to kind of remember, this started way back, like a little bit before 2010 is when I started to, uh, you know, even take like practice coaching clients and stuff. And pretty much from 2010 to 2020, 2021, 
I had coaching clients on the side, even as I was hairdressing, even as I was teaching and educating. And I think that that's the thing that I'm a little concerned about sometimes, because like you said, Jess, there is sort of, there's almost this second wave of almost this joke of like, everyone wants to be a coach right now. Everyone's kind of calling themselves a coach right now. And I'm I'm not saying that to call anyone out, by the way. Please, please don't mistake why I'm saying that. The reason I'm saying this, though, is because I just would love if, if there's a message I could share with you out there. If you want to get into coaching, you want to become a coach, you want to support people in a way, this doesn't need to be a turbo mindset. You don't need to do this next month. Like, get some coach training. That's first and foremost. If you want to be a coach, coaching is a skill set. It is a process that is not a natural process to most of us as humans. Because it's a process of putting my opinions, my beliefs to the side, and actually just supporting you and discovering for yourself. And that's not natural for us. Like We want to help. We want to jump in and be the savior. We want to fix things for people. And that's not what a coach is meant to do from a purist standpoint. Let me, let me put that out there because the word coach can mean lots of different things. And maybe your role isn't necessarily pure coaching. Maybe your lane that you're going to choose is mentoring, which is different, which is I do have a skill set. I do have experiences and I'm going to help support you what you need by helping you through this based on my experiences, and I do actually have something to show you here. That's a little different. Mm. But those are the things that we don't know unless we step into training. So if you are looking to get into coaching, my first thing that I would always suggest is find some foundational training. And it's something that I offer to people actually as a, even as a one-to-one practice. I have a handful of people that I've just taken through a foundational intro to coaching course. I take them through in about three months. It's six sessions. And I just take them through like, here's what a pure coaching conversation looks like start to finish. We practice it and it just sets people up so they actually understand, oh, this is what coaching is. This is how you coach especially in an ethical and safe way. Because if you start calling yourself a coach and you sit down with your first client, you don't have the skill sets ready to handle what comes at you. That's not ethical. That's not safe. You could be putting people at risk actually. And so um, training first, then I think you, it's just like everything else, just like, you know, what was your favorite thing to do as a hairdresser? You know, looking back, I resisted cutting for a long time, but I love cutting now. I, I I think it was, it's my, I got it and it sat. And I think it took years of people telling me how amazing their haircuts were for me to feel confident and love it versus it just being something that I was always challenged with. But yeah, I loved cutting. Cool. And I couldn't have asked for you to say the more perfect thing because it's something that initially, maybe it wasn't your thing. And initially, and you were resistant to, but over time, you can kept trying. You kept putting your foot back in that pond and training and doing all those things. And it ends up being something you love. And so I think that's why it's so important to not get too focused right off the bat, like not get this like 
laser focus, like, okay, I have to figure out exactly what my brand is, exactly what my perfect person is that I have to speak to, exactly what my perfect offering is. I do think it's important to have a target. I do think it's important that you start with something. Yeah. Because the one thing I would probably do a little bit differently if I went back to the beginning is I wouldn't have had this come one, come all sort of mindset. I probably would have started with, hey, okay, this is the group that I'm going to focus on first. Like I'm going to, I'm going to kind of try this out. I'm going to run this experiment for this year. I'm going to focus on this type of clientele, this type of entrepreneur, this type of whatever, and this style of coaching, because there's so many different styles out there too. I think I would have, I would have gotten to where I am today, you know, almost 14 years after I started to train as a coach now, I think I would get to where it was today a little bit faster if I would have experimented more specifically instead of for, for most of my coaching career, it was sort of just this like, yeah, I'm a multiple brain integration coach. I an ICF accredited coach on this type of coach. And it was like, I just sprinkled all of it throughout everything the whole time. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad way, but it's a slow process. Well, it, we can give it a really relative like analogy with hairdressing. Like a lot of people are scared of something, whether it be cutting, coloring, men's cuts. And so now in this, in this genre, we're told to niche down and pick something. If you don't want to go into men's cuts, like you can choose your ideal client, only do blondes, only do extensions. I had an old client of mine that I fired a couple of years ago only because she was never happy. I had to make myself happy mm. and I sent her to someone else. And recently she's tried to come back a couple of times and I'm, I've, you know, and finally she came back and I cut her hair and she was just like, nobody cuts short hair like you. You're just amazing. I said, you're going to, I knew who she was going to. And she goes, yeah, but she only does extensions and long, long haircuts. Like she just does like extension cutting. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, well, good for her, but how would it, what a bummer that like she, maybe she tried it and didn't like it. I don't know. But I think that's the cool thing about when you're a hairdresser is trying all the things long enough to see if it is that you don't really like it, or if you're just not very good at it at first, because, you know, it's easy to tell yourself you can't do something or to just stick to one thing and then go like niche down and then maybe realize you you did that's not the thing. And then maybe you quit altogether versus like, I have a whole deck I can pull from of things that light me up, whether it's cutting or coloring or extensions or men's cutting. It's like it kept my career really um, amazing. But I, I get in the coaching industry, they do, they want you to niche down, they want you to, to kind of figure out who your client avatar is. But I don't think I would have found that out if I hadn't like kind of said, Hey, I know you, I trust you, you're a friend of mine. Yeah, you happen to be a hairdresser. Can I practice coach on you? Do you trust mm -hmm. me enough to spend four weeks with me where it's kind of client led, but I can just kind of see what's coming up for you? Like, this is what's going on for me and why I feel like I need a coach, but I don't want to create something that nobody else needs. I want to see what else is going on with everybody and kind of do some market research. And then sometimes you got to sift through that and think, well, what would I feel confident talking about? Or how could I possibly help somebody in one of those. And if it's none of the things, then that's when you, you know, maybe go get more training if you still want to support that demographic. But um, I think, you know, yes, your path maybe took you longer and you could have like funneled it down a little quicker, but you, you are probably so well-versed. And so now any conversation that gets dropped on your lap, you are like, I remember when I've already had this conversation with somebody, you have a whole like training ground of stuff that you've had conversations with. And that's 14 years of experience that, you know, nobody else has and no one can take from you. 
Yeah, thanks for saying that too, because it it also brought it also brought up the thought the partially there's a, a personality aspect to this too, right? Just like because I I have always been um, the jack of all trades, master of none kind of person. Like I just love to collect new information. And I feel I, that I feel that you guys feel <laughs> that if you're listening on this podcast, you follow me, you probably feel that too. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's put down because like, oh, well, you never master anything if you keep bouncing around. But it's what makes my heart happy, honestly. Like I can look back and see that the times that I got burned out was because I was doing the same thing over and over and over again, that I wasn't continuing to explore and I wasn't continuing to expand. So as you were saying that, it it kind of brought back the sense that for for me personally i don't maybe i wouldn't have actually enjoyed doing it the other way maybe it was the right way for me to just kind of play and just sort of explore and maybe i wouldn't have gotten here any faster who knows but i guess the thing is is there is such an overwhelming voice out there right now that talks about the need for you know, like you said, you got to find your avatar, you got to find your niche, you got to find this, that even I am kind of like, well, maybe, maybe that is the right way. Maybe that is the way we're supposed to do things. But I don't know, just as you said that, it kind of reminded me again, like, but would have I, would I have even been happy doing that? Maybe from a purely business standpoint, like making a strong business that's financially lucrative. Maybe from that standpoint, yes, having more of that focus is probably, I would probably say in most cases, that's probably going to be better from your business standpoint. But that's not why I do business. <laughs> I don't do business for money. I don't do, do business for success. I do business for, I don't even do business. I want to take that out. I have a career that I love that I actually want to enjoy my time. And that's that's what's more important to me than progressing faster, having more income or having more clients and, and all of that. So yeah, thanks for saying that. I feel like that that was a good opportunity to kind of work out my own perspective of, of that conversation. That's so good. And I'm sure there's somebody who's relating to these stories and whether it wasn't as long of a time as it took you or, you know, I know people who get into the industry doing hair and then they leave because it's not maybe what they thought it was and they come mm -hmm. back. And there's a lot of people that transition from behind the chair into now we see, you know, someone like Elizabeth Faye is like a great example of someone who's discovered, you know, that the inner work needed to come first and no amount of success or no amount of like, you know, online education, the money, the income was going to give her the relief or the like peace and contentment. She had to go do the work. And that's why you've seen such a huge shift in how she's showing up spiritually. And like, she's like a completely different person. I mean, she looks like a completely different person. And I think it's such a beautiful thing because our industry, like most of us already know how to show up authentically. We just continue to put ourselves in a box that we put ourselves in usually ourselves, but also one that we were conditioned to believe was the right thing to do growing up. And even as you shared your takeaway from what I said, it made me think of how much pressure I've put on myself to not walk away from a career that's making me X, Y, Z, right? Well over six mm -hmm. figures. 
for something that's going to make me significantly less in the beginning because I have a stigma on myself. No one else knows how much money I make besides me. Um, that if I can't, if I can't make a linear move of like trading this for this, it's not worth it. It's not right. But recently I've had to re-remind myself, like it's okay to be a beginner in something new. And that's also why I I hold on to the behind the chair business because a, I don't want to disappoint, you know, the few people I have left. There's also still part of me that feels like, can I really be a good coach or mentor in the beauty industry if I'm not still doing it? Right. There's a story I put in there. Um, but it also comes from fear of like, Who am I if I'm not a hairdresser? I've been doing this since I was 18. I don't know myself as an adult in any other way. And so um, right now, recently, you know, through the podcast and being able to start to monetize that and having more awesome conversations like this, I'm discovering that I can take a break being all the things, even though a lot of us accidental entrepreneurs, like you and I were kind of joking, intro entrepreneurs, um, the curse is almost we are good at a lot of things. I didn't say Mm -hmm. we were superstar great, the best top of notch thing, but we're good at a lot of things. And that sometimes can be overwhelmingly confusing because opportunities come your way and you're like, yeah, I want to do that. That seems like a great opportunity. Oh, that part of the salons for sale. What a great opportunity. But what I've realized too, as the older I've gotten is like the more you network, the more your opportunity pot grows and it's really getting rooted in who you are and why you're doing what you're doing to say yes or no to those opportunities. Because a lot of times I feel like, that opportunity is really just a distraction disguised as what you think is an opportunity because you've been conditioned to level up or to do the next thing. And that's why I opened a salon is I saw Abe, we, I opened the salon with Abe. We left Robert Crummings together, him, Abe, Yada, Henry, Liz, like I watched it all go down and I vowed to never book and open my own salon when we did that. Cause I was like, it's not that they did it wrong, but like they didn't know what they were doing and they'll self-admit we were so young and I learned a lot of things I would do if I ever was to open, but it took me 15 years before I had the, you know what, to say yes to my own space. And even then six months into it, I was like, man, I'm just not a micromanager. And it made me question if I was going to be a good coach because I was like, if I'm not willing to pour into these people, maybe I'm not meant to be a coach. Mm. And I really realized like my superpower is connection and I just wanted to connect people. And so that's where the podcast came from because I was like, can I connect my thoughts and other people's thoughts into some stories that help other people get through their shit to figure out what they wanna be doing? And I just left it at that. And that sounds so vague and open-ended and like, it's not a thing, but it's a thing to me. And, um, you know, I've had to like reverse engineer, how do I monetize this thing? Like, how do I monetize what I discovered is like how I wanna show up? There's no box to put it in. And I'm not used to not having a box to get in and say, this is what I do. This is who I am. And it's hard sometimes. And, you know, I think you touched on a lot of that. And the blocks always seems to be the process is something I picked up off one of your pages. And the block I have now is like releasing that need to say I'm a salon owner. I'm a hairdresser and step into this next version. And like you, the life coach word didn't sit right. And my very first coach asked me, she goes, do you relate more to the word coach or mentor? And I was like, oh, I don't know. This feels like a trick question. And she didn't quite explain it as well as you did. Um, she referred to one as teaching and one as something else. And I imagine the teaching part was the mentorship. And I was like, I guess a mentor because I, I've always had great mentors who like showed me the way. And so that's where the word beauty mentor came from. But then I look back to my track record of like, coaching other like in fit and fitness. And when I was like a a 
cheer coach and a gym. I was like, well, but I'm kind of both like how, what's the word that goes together. And so I just stopped calling myself any of it, you know, and I, I almost like felt like I couldn't step into that space. And then once I started coaching, I actually realized that wasn't the one-to-one. I love it. I can do it. It wasn't what made my heart sing. I, th- I think I spent 22 years behind the chair one-to-one that my soul was craving a bigger impact. And that's where the podcast came in because I can be responsible for what goes on here. And then once it's out into the world, like Tony Robbins says, I'm not your guru. Take what you need from what you hear and hopefully like use it. And if you want to work with me in some capacity, like, you know, that's why I have my, my membership teaching people how to show up and be a personal brand so that they can create opportunity. But, um, I mean, you're like, when I look at your social media, you show up really consistently and you are like really putting out so much like valuable content. Um, how do you, I know you're, you've talked to me about this challenge that you were doing before too. We jumped on to hit record. Um, what, what gets you motivated to like show up as consistently as you do? And where do you source like content ideas from? Does that come from, do you sit and like journal or like, where does that all come from? Hmm. The, the ideas typically, like I have, you know, lists of ideas in a, in a notebook and on my phone, but I have to admit, I rarely go back to it because I find that for me, if I post what, what I'm inspired by in the moment, that always comes, comes through much better. And I really do just kind of trust my intuition And so often uh, I post something and it's almost like, I don't even know why this is important Mm. because it wasn't even necessarily important to me that day, but just something said like, this is really important for you to post. And very often that thing that I post that I'm like, I don't know why I'm posting this is the one that's like, you know, comment after comment, like, oh my God, I really needed to hear this today. Like, this was so important. Thank you for posting that. And so I've just learned to trust my intuition. If I have the intuitive hit that like, this is what I want to post today. This is the kind of content I want to create. I just create it. Mm. The, The downfall to that is consistency. But kind of back to the whole principle of like, I know that consistency is really important and I should be more consistent as, you know, if I want it for my business, but consistency doesn't necessarily make me happy. I love that you just said that. I've, I've actually just come to terms with the fact that yes, I could probably be busier. I could probably have a stronger following, whatever, if I posted every single day, but it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel right. And so for me personally, please hear that statement right there. For me, it is okay to have the compromise of, okay, maybe I'm not as busy as I could be. Maybe I don't have the following that I could have, but I'm okay with that so that on this side, I can make sure that I feel fully connected to what's most important to me, which are my personal values. That's where I operate from is my values, my intuition, my authenticity and that hasn't always been my story but i can tell you how much fucking happier i am now that it is my story and i know that if i did other things i probably could make a lot more money and i probably could have more clients and what whatever and maybe not who knows but it's 
I'll just never make that trade off ever again, Jess. Mm-hmm. I mean, lot, so many times in my life, and it it always led to burnout. It always led to my soul being crushed. And so that's the one thing that I'll just never, I'll never slay on again. I don't know if you could have been more relatable to like the current climate of people that have been, you know, tapping into the stuff I'm sharing is, is really that I feel that people are afraid to even say that or admit that. And even as you said it, you said, maybe I could be, have make more, maybe I could be busier. And it's like, what are we comparing it to? How busy you see someone else who's doing what you're doing? How much seemingly money they're making because they what flashed a Rolex or a fancy car or they're on some fucking trip. Um, I feel that to my core and I feel like that's why I personally have been in resistance to quote unquote doing the work, right? Being more Mm. quote unquote consistent, which is posting every single day. That does not feel authentic to me either. And when I'm on a good one, like my people know, like I will go for like two or three days straight. And it's like in the cycles of your life and the seasons, like if you, if I'm at the salon all day and I'm trying to be present with my clients, like I don't want to have to put the pressure of being consistent and posting and, you know, like batching works for some people and it doesn't work for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. I could script out research what's trending on fucking whatever, what use those, those little apps that tell you what people are Google searching and get all clever and make sure that I'm the first thousand person to talk about that thing. Um, and you know, we could, we all could do that, but it's like, what is authentic to you and what's going to really bring you joy. And I love that you talked about your values. And I love that we both have a shared history of not listening to those and having our story be so much different that, yeah. Remember when you used to have 10 clients a day and you made a shit ton of money, but you came home and you were a dick. Like, yeah. that's what I remember. That's why I was divorced. I remember that clearly. Years old. Yeah. I literally just shared that story. I was like, I was such a powerhouse at the salon for 10, 11 hours straight. And I would come home and be a toxic piece of shit. Cause like no, nobody wanted to, I didn't want to be around me. I couldn't get away from myself. So I just made everybody else leave. And, you know, you look back and I made a shit ton of money and it just for what, at the same time, there are different ways we can do things now that, you know, you can hire help and get support. If social media isn't your favorite thing to do, there are resources that you can use. Um, if you do want to make millions and millions of dollars and have your schedule booked out to do kind of what we're doing or coaching or whatever, but um, also tap into like, why do you think that's the level of what you need to play just because other people on social media are making that seem awesome and glamorous. Um, I think that's a really good reminder to just like check in with why are you doing the things that you're doing? Um, And you talk a lot about, you know, coming from a service place that it's not about you. It's about who you can serve and, um, if you're ever talking to people or if you're trying to get a point across, really trying to make it relatable and including them in the story versus talking at them. I love that. Um, that never delivers well when someone's like talking at me. I'm always like, yeah, but like, give me some proof that you've lived this or that how you know what you're talking about. Like sh- share something with me and make it, make me understand it. Um, that's really powerful. So where yeah. can people hang out with you and, and get to like be in your, in your vibe space more? Are you mostly on Instagram? Yeah, like 95% on Instagram. <laughs> I try to like post over on my Facebook stuff too, just because it's there, but yeah. I forget about it most of the time and just hit the, like the reshare button. Um, but that's where I'm definitely most engaged is, is on IG. And it's just Andrew Doc Carruthers. It's pretty easy to find. Awesome. Um, I pulled a I pulled something off of one of your uh, reels that you did that you said that I wanted to just share. And maybe we can leave everybody with this. And if they want some more of what you're talking about, they can go 
follow you because I, I really like that you said, if there's something we want to stop doing, I'm going to take this literally for myself, hair, we must choose something we want to do instead to replace that. And it has to be either more exciting or more whatever in order for us to move on to that thing and replace the one thing with the other, if you will, right? Yeah. And that really hit home because I keep telling myself, okay, I'm going to stop. Okay. You're going to stop. I even told some clients I'm stopping and it, it, it felt finite, but I hadn't quite replaced it with the, the, the vision. And I, I was, I think I'm 50% in on some of the things I'm doing. I mean, I'm sure I'm almost 150 podcasts and thousands of dollars later to produce and do all these things, but I'm still stepping into that version. And so I think I can actually stop telling myself to stop. I think I can tell myself to enjoy these few clients that I didn't end up telling I'm stopping and be present in that because it still kind of gets me excited while slowly growing this other thing that I thought had to move faster than it did. So your story really mm -hmm. helped give me some perspective on time because it's really only been three years for me. And mm -hmm. um, thank you for giving me that gift of perspective because I think a lot of times me as a coach, I'm, I'm just trying to share perspective so people can see that 99% of the time they got their shit going on really, really well. There's just one or two things that they could tweak to make their life just a little bit richer or that they could appreciate what they have a little bit more, you know? Absolutely. So good. I love this conversation. So glad we got to connect. Um, you guys, what we haven't shared with you though is Andrew and one of his buddies are creating an insane, I guess a course, right? A train the trainer program. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to have all the details to you as soon as we have them. I don't know if they'll make it to the show notes, if he'll have them by then. But if you are interested in working with Andrew or learning more about what the train the trainer program is, just shoot him a DM, ask him some questions, feel into it. Um, we always kind of like have that intuitive hit of like, so go check him out. You follow him. If you love this podcast, please share it with somebody who could get some value out of it. That's how I get this podcast out to more people. Um, and just sharing the message of, you know, what things really look like, right? The shiny little this over here. There's always a story. And I hope you found yourself in this story. Um, and I appreciate the follow. It's how this podcast is growing. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Jess. And thank you for being an awesome connector. Yes. And we will see you guys on the next one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, it would mean so much to me if you could share it with a girlfriend, like send it to her right now or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out to more people. So until next time, be you unapologetically. Rain,